children may be dismissed for children's church this time. Our text today will be found in 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to turn uh, to that chapter and we'll be reading it before too long. Let me remind you one more time not to uh, forget about uh, our Let the Word Be Heard, Read or Listen Through the Bible in a Year. If you are not doing that, let me encourage you to consider doing that. We have a reading schedule out front. You don't have to use this one, but we do encourage you to become familiar with the Bible. Read through it or listen through it uh, in the year to come. It's a good time to start now in the month of January and uh, catch up with what you missed and get on Get on the program and uh, just get going in that. Uh, let's, we we got to get the Word of God into our hearts. All right, Brother Ken, we're going to get some uh, video up here pretty soon. There we go. Yay. All right, so today I want to talk to you about the matter of Christian suffering. That is, uh, persecution and suffering that uh, happens to Christians for their faith. Um, and although that's not been a huge issue for us as American Christians, um, for Paul, the apostle, and his co-workers, and for the first century Christians, this was a, a large issue. It was, a, it was not, no small or peripheral matter. Uh, the, the Christians there in the first century taught about suffering, for Christians and persecution, and they talked about it. It was a spiritual issue for them. Uh, this is demonstrated for us here in the letter of 2 Timothy, in which Paul talks about suffering twice in the first chapter and once in every other uh, chapter, subsequent chapter. And so let's just uh, take a, a moment and read through this quickly. Um, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1 and verse 8, Paul uh, says, and when we get to the word suffering and bold up there, that's your term to chime in, all right? Get a little bit of audience participation here. All right, uh, Paul writes, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of, or of me as prisoner. Rather, join me in what? Suffering. For the gospel. All right, again in uh, chapter 1. He says, the beginning of verse 11, of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. All right, chapter 2, verse 3, Paul admonishes Timothy, join me in suffering. Verse, uh, chapter 3 now, verses 10 and 11. You, however, know all about my teaching my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, and sufferings. And then finally, chapter 4, verse 5, Paul says, But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardships. It's the same word that in other places here in 2 Timothy is translated sufferings. Some of the versions have it that way. Well, so this was a big deal for Paul, the first century Christians. And, brothers and sisters, let me say to you 
that in view of what's going on in our world today, it's something that we think, I think we need to uh, revisit as well. According to World Magazine, uh, and I quote here, last year saw the most prevalent and sustained attack on the Christian faith in modern history. A watchdog organization called Open Doors USA that does a survey of people who have been martyred for Christ uh, calculated that more than 7,100 Christians were killed for their faith last year. Now that doesn't mean that's all that were killed for their faith. That just means that's all the ones they were able to count and verify. Uh, What is a little bit disturbing about this fact is that that is an increase of over 3,000 from the previous year. An increase of almost 40%. You know that something's going on in the world when you hear a report on NPR, the very liberal public news broadcasting agency, uh, (laughs) that they give a report about Christians suffering and in the increase of persecution of Christians because they don't usually say stuff like that. You remember some of the examples in the last year. Probably the most vivid one was that uh, video that, some, that ISIS po- posted on the internet of the 21 Christians uh, in orange jumpsuits led down the beach there in Libya. And then there was a tirade that went on and then they, they beheaded them right on the the video. I didn't watch it. I, I don't have the stomach for it. Maybe you didn't either, but uh, it was uh, very gruesome. And that was just one of a number. There was about 250 Assyrian Christians that were kidnapped a little bit later, and then 35 more were beheaded uh, in April. Uh, so we're thankful those kinds of things are not going on here in our home country, but Here in America, we've seen an erosion of our religious freedoms as Christians. Perhaps you remember uh, Kim Davis, the county uh, clerk in Kentucky, uh, who was convicted of contempt of court for failing to sign marriage licenses for same-sex couples when uh, that was approved. She spent five days in jail as a result of that. Uh, And so we've heard about... Uh, caterers and bakers and florists and photographers who ha- against whom lawsuits have been brought and who have been slapped with large fines and, and other kinds of things like that because they, are, they, they refuse to violate their con- conscience in regard to this matter of serving those that are in same-sex relationships. So let me just take a moment here. When you hear these kinds of things going on in our nation and around the world, what are some of the feelings that you have? I hear some responses, but I'm not getting the gist of them. Anger, Anger okay, yeah. Get upset a little bit? Do you get distressed? Yeah. What's, what's another? Sadness, yeah. Fear, yeah. This is a pretty emotional issue. That, uh, that, that, that rises in us. But the point here that uh, is being made is that uh, persecutions and suffering of Christians around the world is on the increase. Our world is becoming a place in which we need once again to talk about and teach about persecution and the suffering of Christians and how we are to respond. And that's what I want to take a few minutes to do today. So let's talk about what we're talking about when we're talking about, talking about Christian suffering. To what do we refer when we talk about the persecution and suffering of Christians? 
Well, the most obvious examples are the most extreme examples, of course, some of, those, some of which we've talked about. Uh, Paul wrote here in uh, 2 Timothy, You know, however, all about my persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Well, in those cities... He was basically, for preaching the gospel, he had some success, but then basically he was run out of town, threatened with stoning. In one of the towns, he actually was stoned, dragged out of town, and left for dead. So public opposition is one of the more extreme um, forms that persecution takes, even bodily harm. In another passage here in 2 Timothy Paul refers to my gospel for which I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. When he was writing this letter to Timothy, uh, he was in prison writing it. And he was being chained up like, and the word means a serious criminal. It wasn't a misdemeanor now. It was a felony. He was in prison being treated like a bank robber or uh, a murderer or something like that simply for preaching the gospel. So arrest and imprisonment is another form of persecution, of course. And another extreme uh, form of suffering uh, is actually being put to death for your faith, martyrdom. Paul refers to this also, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the faith, faith finished the race. <laughs> Come on. I have kept the faith. All right? Now, Paul, in other instances, had assurance that he was going to be released from prison. But in this instance, as he's writing to Timothy, he's sure he's not going to be released. He's sure that the end for him is near. And as we know from church history, he indeed himself was put to death for the sake of the gospel and gave his life for that. So these are some of the more extreme things that perhaps we could say grab the headlines. And at times, Jesus does call us to give our lives in that regard. You've heard perhaps recently of some of the people that have been victims of these mass shootings. And sometimes these guys will put a gun to a person's head and say, Are you a Christian? And if you say yes, boom. You know, that could happen to any one of us. These extreme cases, however, are not all that Paul means when he urges Timothy to suffer for the gospel. There are many other less extreme ways that uh, we may be called to suffer for the Lord on a more day-to-day, uh, mundane type of basis. And I want to refer to those today. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3, if you have your Bibles. Uh, read along with me. And here Paul says, Endure hardship with us, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now another translation for that phrase, endure hardship with us, is to join me in suffering. Once again, the word hardship is another way to translate the same word that is translated suffering in other places. Now he gives three illustrations here to help Timothy understand what he means by suffering hardship or suffering from the Lord. And the first is the illustration of a soldier, which uh, we mentioned already. But look at verse 4. Paul says, No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Uh, the New American Standard actually does a little bit better job translating this accurately. Let me read this again. News, no soldier 
in active service, entangles himself, notice that, entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Now in those days, when you're in the military, you get recruited by your captain. Uh, you don't go to a recruiting office. The, the captain of your battalion recruits you and you have a personal loyalty to him and he pays your wage. So you have a very personal obligation to serve the one who recruited you. But notice the life of a soldier here. Uh, some of you have been in the service. How many of you have been in the service here? Number of people here? Okay. Uh, I, I was not in the service personally, but I know a little bit about it. Uh, and that is, when you're in the military, when you're in the service, they basically own you. They tell you where to go. They tell you where to live. They tell you when uh, you're going to go someplace. And it really doesn't particularly matter whatever else you're doing at the time or what you want. If they say, go to Hawaii, well, you go over there and serve in Hawaii. If they say, go to Antarctica, you go there. And it may be on a day's notice. Who knows? And whatever it is that you're commanded or your orders are, that is what you've got to do. Now, you, of course, get to do some other things in your spare time as well. Uh, you can, you can you know, have some recreational activities and you can... A lot of times have a family and enjoy them. But the, but the point of, of that, this is that you cannot get entangled in civilian life to an extent that you cannot extract yourself at a moment's notice to go and do whatever it is your orders are. And that's the point that Paul is making here. Uh, a soldier, somebody has a sense of mission. For the Christian, everything in life is to be subject to our obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our commander. He's the one who has recruited us for his service. And just like the soldier, we are to be available to serve him and, and do whatever he tells us to do. Everything else needs to take second place. So uh, we are to serve the Lord in this way, he says. And that involves, first of all, the call here is to single-minded service for Christ... He's got the inside track, and that involves a degree of suffering. And that suffering involves setting aside the things that we may want to do or we may feel are important for us to do in order, to, in order for us to be able to obey the Lord in whatever he calls us to do. That's the first example. Now, the second example is that of an athlete. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, let's read that. It says, similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he, commits a, he competes according to the rules. Now here you need to think about Olympic athletes. You know what it takes to, become an, uh, to compete on the Olympic level? You know the kind of sacrifice and discipline those athletes go through in order to get to that place? It's a high degree. And Paul is saying here, as a Christian, we should do likewise. We need to be disciplined and we need to be holy. Notice he says, if you don't compete by the rules, what's going to happen? You get disqualified, right? You get knocked out. Whether it's in the training part, you, you decide to use uh, performance-enhancing drugs to get the inside track, right? And they find out about it. Or you, don't, you break the rules in the competition itself. You get penalized or you get disqualified. And that's what happens with Christians when they don't live the kind of life that Jesus calls us to live. 
Christians are called to live a holy life. And uh, you've no, no doubt read about ministers and uh, people working for the Lord who haven't taken care of those holiness issues in their life. And when they come out, it, dis- it destroys their entire ministry. It comes crashing down like a, like a building that's fallen apart. So um, uh, we are called to holy living and the suffering is here. It's to say no to sin, brothers and sisters. Sin has a pleasure to it. It has an allure to it. It calls to you. I don't know about you, but it calls to me. And when I indulge in sin, there's a certain immediate gratification and a pleasure. It feels good while I'm doing it. Now, I get beat up in my conscience later. But there's a sacrifice when you look at sin and the temptation and the pleasure that it's offering you to say no. I'm not going to do that. To deny yourself. That's the kind of suffering that we do, are called to do from day to day. And the third illustration is that of the farmer. Verse 6 here. Paul says the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. We talked a few weeks ago about uh, the life of a farmer. Anybody grow up on a farm? Some of you did. You know farming is a hard way of life. You've got to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, you know, with the cows and milk the cows or whatever. Take care of the chores daily. Come in and eat breakfast. You spend the rest of the day out there in the heat of the sun trying to get your plants to grow and beat off all the pests and do whatever is necessary. Get the water on them. And sometimes you have calamities and, you know, storms or uh, blight or locusts come and eat up your crop. And uh, you got to work hard for a long time without any kind of reward until the harvest time. But the hardworking farmer will receive a reward for his labor. The lazy farmer won't receive much of a reward. And uh, I remember driving around with my brother-in-law in North Dakota who is both a veterinarian and a farmer, and he would say, well, that guy's not really taking care of his field very well. I couldn't tell. I'm a city boy. But he could just look at the farm and say the one that could tell the farms where the guy wasn't putting in the hard work that was necessary to come up with a good crop. So uh, as far as a Christian is concerned, the call is to work hard for the Lord. Don't just get saved and kind of glide into heaven on a bed of ease or a bed of roses. He calls us to strenuous labor on behalf of the kingdom. Another man, a successful businessman I talked to, said there's two keys to success for, for business. Number one, you've got to get good people in your business. The second one is to work hard. And he was working like 67 hours a week, 60 to 70 hours a week. I'm going, Wow. Yeah, I guess that'd make it work. But call Paul, but God calls us to labor, to stress, to strain ahead in the race in His service for Him. And uh, we've got to balance out our families and other things like that. There's no question about that. I'm not saying we should become obsessive and uh, uh, ignore other things to which God has called us. But we do need to not think that just walking into the kingdom of God is going to be. Uh, just a game of four square or something like that. If we're going to make progress in God's kingdom, we're going to have to work hard. And so uh, these are the three illustrations. The suffering here is to lay aside the pursuit of comfort and leisure, you know? 
Now, I'm not saying you can't have a good time and uh, you, you can't have times of rest and restoration, relaxation that God, call, God calls us to Sabbath as well. But I'm just saying, if your goal in life is just to, be, to go through life and cruise, you know, have a good time, lay back and take it easy, well, that's very different than what God calls us to as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. All right, now... Uh, so the Lord calls us to suffering. Sometimes he will call us to these extreme forms, but he does call every one of us to these daily kinds of giving of ourselves, like the soldier, to be focused on the Lord and say no to other things that are going to distract us, or like the athlete who's disciplined for holiness in the Lord uh, as the Christian part of it is concerned, and the farmer who works hard for the Lord. In fact, this lifestyle characterized by self-denial and self-sacrifice is to be a hallmark of the Christian life. Notice what Paul says here in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12. He says that everyone who wants to live a godly life, as a matter of fact, will endure suffering of some kind or another, will undergo persecution. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will, he says, be persecuted. He says, if you are a Christian and you're living the Christian life the way you ought to, you will be persecuted. You will undergo suffering for the Lord. Now, the corollary of that is, if you're a, you call yourself a Christian, you're just going through life and coasting and nothing, you're not experiencing any kind of suffering or persecution. You may not be doing it right. You may not live it, be living your Christian life the way that God calls you to live. We spend a lot of time and energy trying to avoid pain and suffering, don't we? We make it our goal to try to avoid difficulty and pain and trouble and suffering. And I guess so we should. But in a sense here, Paul is saying... As Christians, we shouldn't be trying to avoid, our primary goal shouldn't be to avoid difficulties and troubles and problems and sufferings. Rather, we need to learn to accept them and in a sense embrace suffering because this is how God makes progress in his kingdom. There are two things that we will rightly suffer for if we, if we are busy about them. And one is proclamation, proclaiming testifying, witnessing about Jesus. You've got to witness for the Lord. The Lord calls us to witness. And when we do witness, often the reaction is negative. But we've got to do that if people are going to come to know Christ. And then a holy living is the second thing. You live for Christ, you live a holy life, people are going to get on your case because you're not running with Him and doing all the things that the world does. Sometimes Christians suffer, but not for these things. They suffer because they've done something wrong. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Or they suffer because they're just annoying and obnoxious. Well, that's not what he's talking about here either. He's talking about suffering because we're giving a loving, honest testimony about Christ or living a holy life. Well, let me kind of go through the next part quickly. How are we to respond when we undergo suffering? Our natural reaction to suffering, obviously, is to fight back, right? Somebody whacks you up the side of the head, what do you want to do? Whack them back, right? Only a little bit harder so they don't do it again. 
Oh, yeah, the thing is, they not only do it again, they do it back to you, you even harder. So it become, begins to escalate. But Jesus tells us, if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, what are you supposed to do? Turn to them the other cheek also. All right. Somebody wants to sue you and take your shirt? What do you do? Hand over your coat as well. Somebody forces you to go one mile? What does he do? Go the other one too. Love your enemies, Jesus said, and pray for those who persecute you. We're not to return evil for evil, but to overcome evil with good. Why should we suffer? Do you like pain? Some of you don't sound too sure. Anybody out there like, like to be in pain? You like to be laughed at? You enjoy having your property confiscated or your life threatened? No. So what is it that can persuade us willingly to subject ourselves to those kinds of things for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's got to be a pretty powerful motive or else we'll just kind of recede back into our self-protective mode. Let me offer you three reasons why, as Christians, we ought to suffer. The one, first one is probably the simplest and most powerful. Because Jesus suffered for you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you. He suffered and bled on that cross, and it wasn't just kind of like dying in your sleep. This was a long, torturous, suffering death so that your sins could be wiped away and forgiven, and you could have new life with the Lord and be restored to fellowship with the Lord. The Lord suffered for you. He's given you forgiveness and a new life, and He calls you to follow in His footsteps for the sake of others. Second, Progress in God's kingdom comes through suffering. You couldn't be saved unless Jesus came into the world and suffered on your behalf. So the old football saying here, in this, sense, in this case, also applies. No pain, no gain. In order for there to be progress in God's work in the kingdom, there's going to have to be people who are willing to sacrifice and suffer. Paul writes in 2 Timothy Chapter 2 and verse 10, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus, the eternal glory. You know why Paul said he suffers? So people can get saved. He's willing to be in prison, to, go to, go to, to die, to uh, endure all kinds of hum humiliation, as long as he can preach the gospel and people will get saved. See, here's the thing. Uh, you preach the gospel, people, people, gotta be, people have to hear the gospel to be saved. Nobody can be saved unless they hear the gospel. Nobody can hear the gospel unless somebody preaches. But when you preach, the devil doesn't like it. He hates it, as a matter of fact. And so he's going to intimidate you, and he's going to persecute you. But you've got to persist, or else people will not hear the gospel and be saved. So... Progress in God's kingdom comes through suffering. Fear of persecution is what muzzles most Christians from proclaiming the gospel. 
fear of persecution is what keeps Christians from standing up and saying, no, I don't really think that that's right. You know, I think there's a better way to do something. We, we, we sit in our seats and we're quiet because we're afraid. We, gotta, we, we need to stand up for the Lord. Third, there is great reward for those who suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed are those, the Lord said, who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Oh, brothers and sisters, if we could just taste the hugeness, the greatness of the reward that awaits those who are faithful and who persevere in Christ and who are faithful in preaching and teaching and identifying themselves with the Lord and living holy lives. We wouldn't consider any of the things that we're going through, the difficulties and the sufferings and the pain to be of any worth or any value compared to the great glory that God has for us. Paul said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will, re- but w- that will re- be revealed in us. Friends, if you suffer for the Lord, it's going to be so worth it when we get there. Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame because of the joy set before him. The joy was so great, he was w- willing to go through the cross and that reveals to us how great the glory is that we will receive. It's going to be worth it. But I imagine that on that day when each person stands before God, there may be some regret in our hearts as we stand there before Him and realize how much glory we failed to give to God, how much progress in God's kingdom we failed to achieve simply because we were afraid to undergo a little bit of suffering on His behalf in that moment before he wipes away every tear of regret from our eyes. Well, let me bring this to a conclusion. Jesus calls us, his followers, to endure suffering for his sake. And I want to encourage you to consider this, brothers and sisters. When you go out into the world this week and you're living in the world the Lord leads you to say a word on his behalf or to make a choice about how you're going to live and there's other people around you watching. And, uh, and, and think about what we've talked about here. Are you afraid of suffering for the Lord? The Lord promises to give you the strength to be able to live for him in the moment if you'll just look to him and ask him for that strength. Paul says it's by the power of God that we're able to submit to the suffering for the Lord's sake. I remember uh, a story that uh, I read about Corey Tenboom, um, you know, the hiding place years ago. Anyway, when she was a child, she asked her father, uh, how, how can I have enough strength to do what God tells me to do? And her father said, said to her, you know, when you go on a train trip, when do I give you the ticket? And she said, well, you give me the ticket right when I get on the train. And he said, well, that's what happens with the Lord. 
He doesn't give you all the strength that you need beforehand, but right when you need it, He'll give you the strength that you need. And when God calls you to stand up for Him and to suffer for Him, He will give you the strength to endure and to uh, obey Him in that moment. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we've lived in a country where we've been blessed by peace and harmony and freedom. We see some of that eroding here recently, and who knows, but in 20 or 30 years, we may be in the same situation of other nations where to speak out for Christ or to preach in the name of the Lord or even to have a Bible is punishable by imprisonment and uh, mistreatment, even death. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world in places where it's illegal to be a Christian and to follow you. We pray for their strength and endurance. We pray for their testimony to remain bold and bright. We pray for ourselves that we also may be willing in whatever ways you call us to do, to suffer and to uh, give our lives for your sake. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.